Welcome back to Talking Out Loud with Bobby and Raymond. I'm Bobby Doogie, your professional mental toughness coach. And with me, as always, is the great, the wonderful, the clever, the handsome, mostly, Dr. Raymond Pryor. Mm, Keep going. You missed a few. (laughs) You missed extraordinarily (laughs) humble. (laughs) Yeah. Well, accidentally, question mark? Yeah, question mark. (laughs) So, um, good to talk to you again, buddy. Yeah, how are we doing, Bobby? Doing good, doing good. NBA playoffs, baby. Playoffs. I know myself. 17 months of NBA playoffs. Uh, yeah, month three is getting a little bit rough for me at the uh, prior Shank House because the Celtics are playing the Bucks and the Bucks are really handing it to the Celtics at the moment. So, yeah, my wife. Team Allison. Yeah, Allison's really, really enjoying it where I am not. However, I've never been more reinforced for having multiple TVs at once because the other night I watched the Red Sox, the Bruins, and the Celtics all play at the same time. Yeah. I, I, listen, if you don't have multiple TVs in one room, are you really living? that? Maybe, should we spend the whole podcast breaking that down? Nobody knows. Yeah, that's probably a podcast for a different topic. Although many of our listeners are probably thinking, maybe you should talk about how weird and abnormal it is to have three TVs in the same room all clustered together that doesn't strike me as weird at all it's it, it strikes me as so normal anyone that would find that weird is weird to me yeah so oh so on nba nba playoffs i, I have a couple of topics i'd like to dive right into raymond because mm. i want to get your take on a couple things two okay. in particular all right one is celtics i'll push that to the side i'll give you a minute to deal with that um because um, i <laughs> see that seemed raw okay um but let's go to the 76ers for a second Joel Embiid is one of like the most talented players we maybe have ever seen, right? He's like a bigger, stronger Hakeem Olajuwon, mm-hmm. right? Or like a more athletic Shaq, maybe. Like he's he's or maybe a more tactically skilled Shaq. Like he's he's unbelievably talented, but he seems to be um, having a hard time staying healthy. Probably is the big knock on him. But there's one thing that has struck me as slightly different than just like staying healthy, like as opposed to injury is illness. And so there was a lot of talk around the last couple of games where he's been sick. He's had the stomach flu. He's had this, he's had that. Um, And I was watching the analyst talk last night about how he looked very sick when he was walking into the arena and the impact that had on their team. And that struck me very much from from two different places, Raymond, that I want you to kind of give us your, your thoughts on. One was just mindset training-wise, body language, mm-hmm. right? How your body is feeding your energy. And as a leader of the team, the impact that's having on your team's performance. By the way, his team got absolutely throttled. Um, but the second was, similarly, with my background as a wrestling coach that we've talked about on previous podcasts and the role that, that weight cutting and weight management plays in the sport of wrestling – One of the things that I have seen firsthand that I don't need to focus on the sports psychology research on that I've got enough experience with over, you know, 25 years in sport of wrestling is watching how people who are cutting weight and ultimately physically feeling badly because of it, how how the energy that they have is directly tied to the way they hold themselves, meaning their body language. So I was kind of thinking about those two concepts you know, impact on your team's energy, impact on yourself's energy, and the role it plays when you're physically feeling ill, not necessarily injured, but like you just don't feel as great. Um, I don't know. How do you, what role do you think that plays? Do you think like Embiid needs to kind of step it up a notch and, and manage his body language better? Or do you think I'm being sort of unfair to him? Well, I don't know if it's unfair 
let's just start by saying when we feel better physically, uh, it, it, it most certainly impacts our physical, I'm sorry, our mental state positively. Okay, so people who have chronic pain or are ill or let's just say you just don't feel good, maybe you're just too cold or too hot, it's going to have an impact on your mental state. Being physically comfortable, feeling like you have physical energy certainly helps. There's no doubt about that. So what we want to say is it's understandable why somebody like Joel Embiid, who's been feeling ill for, I mean, it's been a while now, right? Like a couple weeks that this dude's been, it's been a while. He's probably really sick. Okay. So that's going to one, take a real toll on your body. It's going to take a toll on your mental state because it's exhausting and it just feels uncomfortable for an extended period of time. And when your body, when you're a professional athlete like Joel Embiid is, and you're demanding your body to perform, and it's not just like their only performance is game time. Like the dude's got to go to practice. He's got to do shoot around. He's got to do treatment. I mean, he's battling a couple of physical injuries at the moment. Bottom line is he's trying to demand an awful lot of his body. And when it feels crappy for that long, it's going to take a physical toll uh, and it's going to take a mental toll. And it's going to be harder to kind of get that energy, even to do the little things like manager body language or to communicate uh, directly with teammates and do all those things. Like it's, it's much harder to do that when you don't feel like you have the energy to do so. On the other side of that coin is, um, we often make ourselves feel worse than we really do, or we certainly have the ability to based on what we tell ourselves and what we allow our body to do. So I'm certainly not saying that, oh, if you just change your body language, you will feel better. Like your illness will go away. But what we do know from a lot of research related to illness is that the vast majority of illness is self-induced. Now, I imagine that if Joel Embiid has been feeling sick for 10 days, it's not self-induced. Like The dude is sick. However, the degree to which he's feeling crappy and the degree that that impacts his teammates can be largely in part due to what his body language looks like coming into the arena or in the locker room and the things he's saying. Like if he's constantly complaining about how crappy he feels, that's something that's contagious. You know, poor body language and a poor attitude are contagious to the people around you. Uh, and so if that's the case, yeah, it could most certainly be something that uh, could be negatively impacting his teammates. But let's also not uh, overlook the fact that if he's been feeling that bad, and battling those, in, like physically, he's pretty wrecked right now, which has kind of been the MO for big men for the last 20 years in the NBA by the time we get mm-hmm. to the playoffs. Um, it's really difficult to just control your body language because you've been feeling crappy for so long. So, uh, you know, that's kind of a long way of, of answering your question to say, like, it's totally understandable why he would be walking that way and talking that way, uh, given what he's been feeling physically. But does it have an impact on the people around him? Yeah, probably. Yeah, I'm with that. I, I think you also said something towards the end there that was really important of, of that he's talking about it, right? If he's talking to his teammates about it and the impact that it's having. I mean, some of the – one of the adages in, in sports and most of the old adages in sports I think you and I kind of think are stupid. Mm-hmm. Um, but because a lot of research proves them wrong. Yeah. Uh, but, but one of them that I actually do buy into is that like the Tom Brady's and the Derek Jeter's of the world have always subscribed to. And it's always very obvious the value I think that it brings is that you don't talk about it, you know, when you're injured or when you're not feeling well because of the impact that it has not only on yourself, but on your team. I mean, 
you know, you're, we've talked about this on previous podcasts. I'm a big New York fan. You're a big Boston fan. So like as a huge Derek Jeter fan, one of the things that I always loved about him was you knew he was hurt all the time. You can't go through a long professional sport season, get to the end as the way the Yankees often did in the post. Like you're going to be banged up, right? You're going to be hurt to a certain extent, but you never, ever heard Jeter give any answer other than like, oh, no, I'm fine. You know, no, I'll be, I'll be fine tomorrow. You know, it was like there was never any interview that talked about an injury or an illness. It just never happened because he just wouldn't allow himself to talk about it. And I think, you know, Brady in the Boston market, it's kind of the same way. Like you can't be in your 40s playing football and not feel terrible. Avocado milkshakes, dude. Right. But like you never hear those guys talk about it. And so like I don't know Joel Embiid. I don't really know. I don't know anyone in the 76ers. I don't work with them at all. But I do from a mindset training standpoint, wish somebody would be like, listen, dude, I know you feel terrible. Stop talking about it. I think it's having a negative effect on you and the team. Sounds like you agree. Yeah, to a degree. I would say I, I would want if I was Joel Embiid, I'd be if I was working with him, which I'm not. I, I would say what are the times and who are the people you can talk about it with right, that aren't right. going to negative, right? So just like, hey, I'm feeling injured or I'm feeling sick. Just don't talk about it. Period. Probably not healthy because you're not giving people the right. space to That's express what they feel, right? Right. But if we're saying, hey, when you're with the training staff or when you're yeah. at home or you're talking with your doctors or your friends, or if you have a couple of teammates where you know that away from the arena or away from practice, you can be like, yo, dude, I'm feeling awful today. And they're the, you know, the veterans who get what that means uh, and aren't going to take it out of that space. That's one thing. But if you're bringing it into a locker room where you're just, uh, allowing it to kind of permeate through through the group and it becomes a thing where it becomes okay to let discomfort uh and more accurately like your current state be more important than what the team is doing or more important than getting prepared then ultimately it can be something that can can get in the way of not only your personal mindset but also the team's approach and the team mindset as well so like i said i wouldn't say a no talk about it policy is very healthy i think that can and i know what you're you're saying you're not saying like people should just never talk about injuries because that's obviously incredibly dangerous and that's how like we had the concussion epidemic in uh the nfl but the right time and the right place is often really important uh with that you know yeah and when you do talk and when you are talking about it it's a productive conversation it's not a let me just complain about it for an extended period of time. Yeah. And, and let me, let me just clarify that. Cause you're, you're hundred percent right. And of course, you know, I agree with you. It's not like a macho, Hey, never talk about it to concussions. Right, so that right, you're right. Making. That, that's of course not what I'm saying. Um, you need to be empowered to talk to your training staff I and mean, people need to know, of course he's really sick. And like the message isn't to pile on Joel Embiid, by the way, who I think is like a hilarious personality. And I love he it. He does bring a real life yeah. to a press conference, yeah. doesn't it? I just think it's like a valuable lesson for athletes and people out there that, and you're right. It's, it's, it's dangerous to say it the way I said it mm-hmm. with a little bit more context. Like it's not that you never talk about it when you're not feeling well, you have to talk to health professionals. You have to, you have to, you know, release what you have to release emotionally to feel your best. Like that's all very, very positive. Your, your point is hundred percent set on do those things productively, do them in a way that's helpful to your health. Yeah. Um, my point is more about the performance of yourself and your team. Don't be that person that's talking about it so much. And when I think, I think Joel Embiid, and again, I'm drawing some conclusions. I don't know him, but like, he's a guy that talks a lot about everything. I, you know, I just alluded to how entertaining he is. Yeah. I think this is one topic that he probably should tighten up a little bit and just do it in the productive manner you just described. And so my message would be, you know, from the team performance standpoint, you know, let's, let's put this in a box in a healthy manner. 
but it's it's running wild, and I think it is having a negative impact on his team. So, yeah. um, uh, so anyway, so I have one other NBA playoff question for you. Okay, well, I this feel like one's, this one's got to really make me feel bad and give me some space to complain about well, it. Um, maybe I'll say it like that. Okay, it's Celtics specific, uh, and I've been thinking about this a little bit with the New York bias because I'm basically fitting Kyrie for a Knicks jersey at this. Yeah, point. I was gonna say. Um, but here's my question. It's not so much about the Celtics team right now. I'm going to compare last year's team to this year's team to next year's team. And I want you to do a little bit of what I know you hate because it's a little bit predictive, which we all appreciate is impossible. Um, but I think there's a very fascinating mindset training conversation to have here. And and again, all this in the context of like we can't know what's going to happen. But let's just assume a couple of things I'm about to say are right. Um Context is this, Raymond. Last year's team was a bunch of role players that overachieved because the two best players, Gordon Hayward and Kyrie Irving, were injured, right? Mm -hmm. So Tatum, this rookie, he explodes. He's like, oh my God, this guy's going to be the next great star. You know, you had Terry Rozier, you had Jay LeBron, you had a bunch of people on the Celtics that really nobody had ever heard of who ultimately were like, wow, these guys are maybe the best players in the playoffs last year. Um, Okay, this year, the whole conversation has been those guys have disappeared because possibly because of the dynamic with the stars coming back and being ball dominant, et cetera. We're not a sports talk show, so I'm not going to go that route. Here's the mindset angle I want to take. Let's make the assumption that Kyrie Irving leaves next year, right? Um, And some of those other role players are going to be more involved in what the Celtics are doing. Forget about the fact that they could go get Anthony Davis or some other stuff, right? Just here's the mindset question I want to ask you. How... um, Take this the way you want to take it. I mean, obviously, I know you don't want to answer how likely or unlikely it is that those role players, after having a year where they got sat back down and underperformed based on expectations, can just return to form next year. Right? You know what I'm saying by that question? Am I wording that clearly? Yeah. Mm-hmm. How likely is it that they return to form? Or if you want to do more of the way I know you want to answer this, what are the kinds of things that maybe they need to focus on to be able to do that? Because as a non-Celtics fan, but as a sports fan and a mindset trainer, I'm looking at it like, man, this is fascinating because it's very likely it seems that Kyrie leaves and some of those people are going to be asked to take on the role they took before he was there. Can they do it? How do they do it? I just, it fascinates me from a, you know, outside looking in. We'll riff on that a little bit. And you're, you're a Celtics fan, so you should yeah, know a little more so, about those players than I do. Yeah, like I, I watch a lot of Celtics game and and it's, it's pretty clear they're a very different team when Kyrie's on the floor and when he's not. And it's been really apparent in the playoffs because Kyrie, if I'm going to put a very informal label on the way he plays, which I hate doing, but just for the sake of argument, uh, he's a get a bucket guy. And it doesn't really fit the way the Celtics play. Like Brad Stevens is their head coach. He's not a get a bucket offense kind of guy. They don't play a lot of ISO ball. They they are heavy on ball movement and finding the open player. Where and that really doesn't fit the way that Kyrie plays. Kyrie's maybe the best ball handler ever in the history of the NBA and he can get a shot from anywhere. But what that does, I think if we're talking from a mindset point, is you take a lot of players who last year performed really well together, filling a lot of roles and carrying more evenly distributed um, weight, and it makes them want to stand still, in which case then you're kind of playing iso ball with a lot of guys that don't play iso ball. And, you know, to Gordon Hayward's credit, man, he's come back and he's been better than I certainly thought he would with that ankle injury, but he's not the same player that he used to be. Um, 
and the Celtics are playing a different style of basketball that is more uh, around Kyrie's individual ability than it is their kind of total team skill set. And from a mindset standpoint going into next year, my guess is that Kyrie will leave. um, And then it will be more questions of if you're talking to the Celtics players or if we were working with them, I would want to know, what was your mindset like in the year where everyone, Mm -hmm. quote unquote, overperformed? You know, what was the team mindset? What was your individual mindset and attitude going into a game? And, you know, I don't know for sure, but my guess is it was probably a lot of more of a like, everybody do your job, all hands on deck kind of style. And on some nights, someone like a Jason Tatum would take over. On other nights, someone like a, um, you know, Marcus Smart would take over. But ultimately, people were just doing their jobs really well for each other. And what I've just seen this year is it's kind of, uh, if things aren't going well with Kyrie or if the team's not doing great, uh, people just kind of tend to stop moving. And to me, that's a little bit of a mindset of, well, there's really no point in me moving because I'm not going to get the ball. Uh, And then also a little bit, I think this year, if I'm being honest, that whole uh, trade with Davis that didn't go through for either the Lakers or the Celtics created a situation where you had a bunch of players who knew that they were up to be traded meaning the franchise was willing to let go of them and then they didn't so it's kind of this like oh i'm gonna break up with you just kidding and then now there's a lack of trust right and so when you have a lack of trust you've changed people's motivation from let's work together to let's just kind of survive and see how things go and i think the celtics are experiencing a lot of that so i would say for next year um it would be kind of reconnecting with the mindset that they had if they can build the trust with the organization to be able to do that. And that's a big if, because you just kind of undermine people's uh, understanding about how much they are wanted and valued in their own environment. Yeah, I think that was awesome. I mean, I, I and I'm with you. I, I think that it, it's, it will be fascinating to see if it can be done because of the trust factor that you mm-hmm. uh, just, just laid out really well. And, and from a mindset training standpoint, I mean, I would want to be inundating them with, you know, not just conversation, as you alluded to around, you know, tell me about your mindset when you were overperforming or and then telling them, hey, that's who you are and get hitting all their senses with reminders constantly of that, you know, tape from that time period, et cetera, of like, you know, you need, I, I would say from a mindset standpoint, you need to do a great job of making sure that to the trust point, those athletes know that's how you see them, which I think mm-hmm. is not an overnight thing, but also make sure that that's how they see themselves again which is a you know Raymond that's a it's a fascinating thing it's a pretty constant topic of mindset training I think of whether it's you know an athlete goes through a time period where their performance isn't as good as it once was or or things like team dynamics impact the role they play or an injury you know there's all kinds of reasons can happen so and I just want to throw that to you from you know I think it's a relevant topic because of the NBA playoffs I know you're a Boston fan and you watch probably pretty much every game so um, I think that was a really I think it's a unique angle on the conversation that's going on in a lot of sports talk radio shows yeah, type places. And it's been an interesting uh, observation for me in team dynamics because there's no doubt. I mean, Kyrie's a top five to 10 player in the NBA, but the statistics are pretty clear. The Celtics play better and win more when he's not on the court, which doesn't mean that he's not playing well, but they are a different, they're, they're a less efficient team with Kyrie on the court. And so it'd be very interesting to, to me to see if the Celtics uh, 
really pursue keeping him or if they're willing to let him uh, move on to some uh, other team or what also, by the way, you've got a lot of young players coming up on, on contracts and which ones they choose to, to keep and, and move on from. And it's, it's going to be an interesting off season for the Celtics um, given last year to this year. And there's been some pretty dramatic changes about yeah. personnel, but then also mindset. And like I said, that Anthony Davis trade that didn't happen, I think for both the Lakers and the Celtics really undermined a lot of trust between the organization and its players. Yeah, I agree. I, I, and I do, I think the mindset side of who can return to form, who can return to mindset, you know, that, that mm-hmm. they had will be a huge part of the decisions the Celtics make, you know, next year and beyond all that said, man, I hope Kyrie's playing for the next, next year. And I don't care about any of the things you just said. <laughs> I, yeah. I would love it. Also the street credit of our podcast clearly just went up when you used the phrase, get a bucket guy, get a bucket guy. That's he awesome. is a get a bucket. Yeah. That's so. I mean, that's just awesome for, for us, you know, as a podcast. So yeah, well, anyway. if there's anything you need to know about me, it's, I got tons of street cred. So. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that's good. People, people probably believe it because you said it probably. Um, so, I would call this. That was some of the NBA conversation I want to have. I just thought Joel Embiid and the Celtics sort of some interesting mindset angles to take on some on some topics of of uh, sports talk radio these days. So, um, Raymond, I think you have some listener questions for us to start to knock a couple yeah, off. Th- so this is really evidence of our street cred. We did have a couple of people email us and tweet us with some questions. So let's hashtag seamless segue into answering a few of those. Nice. Okay. So this first one, um, Bobby, this is from Callie, uh, and Callie asks, what sporting event have you not been to that you really want to? What sporting event have I not been to that I really want to? Um, so before you answer that, Bobby, let me ask you this. What sporting events have you been to that really stand out to you, like, event-wise? Um. That's a, that was a good question. I mean, I've been to a World Cup game. That was a lifetime experience. Italy against Is that in, Norway. what, 94? 94, yeah. 94 in the dirty jersey? In the jersey, yeah. Madison, I knew it. What was then the Meadowlands. Yeah, it was great. Yeah. My parents took me. It was it was awesome. Um, so that would have been probably my first answer. Although it still might be because a World Cup final might, might be my answer. I was yeah. to a game, but if, I think going to a World Cup final would be just different. Yeah. Um, and so what other experiences? So I've been a bunch of, you know, bunch of sporting events, I guess, in my time. I was at, you know, a bunch of great hockey games. I've been to a, a lot of Yankee games that were great, been to World Series games. For those that are, you know, baseball fans, the Diamondbacks Yankees World Series, which the Diamondbacks ultimately won, um, had two of one of the greatest moments in sports happened twice where the Yankees came back in the bottom of the ninth, uh, twice, two games in a row in a World Series game, which had never happened before. I was at both those games. And, I mean, I'm talking grown men crying. And that one had the added emotional um, weight on it because it was the same time that 9-11 had happened. It was the same right. year. And we had just returned right. to baseball in New York. So, like, that kind of emotional thing going on in that city, I literally people just sobbing, like, you know, as the Yankees came back and won these games. Yeah. Even though they ultimately won the series, it feels like, one that they won. I mean, I'm sorry, the Diamondbacks won the series. It mm-hmm. feels like the Yankees won a little bit just because of those two games. So I was at those. 
Um, I don't know. I've been, I've been, I mean, I've been blessed. I've been a lot of great things. Jim Abbott, the one horn pitcher, I was at his no hitter. Um, Whoa. Yeah. My dad uh, took my little sister, Jamie and I, and I think Jamie started complaining in the third inning that she wanted to go home. And probably I started complaining in like the sixth or seventh inning. And yeah, um, no one's getting hit. <laughs> and uh, this is boring. And my dad's like, the guy's got one arm. He has yeah. not given up a hit. No one's going anywhere. Uh, and that's, you know, we're obviously grateful to have been there. So I, I've, I've been blessed to be at a lot of great events. I've never been to a Super Bowl. Um, mm. So as I'm answering this question, I think I think Super Bowl is my answer, but World Cup final would be really cool. But but I don't know. A Super Bowl sounds like one of those events I'd like to check off my list before. Nice. Before I kick the bucket. What about you? Um, I give me, give, me, give me two, Raymond. Give me, give me your favorite sporting event you've been to that you've been yeah. at. And then give me the one that you haven't that you want to um good question uh i think my favorite sporting event that i've been at is thus far has been the masters yeah um it's a pretty even if you don't like golf if you're just a fan of sport it's and you don't know anything about golf it's worth going to i mean it's got a different feel to it it is you know the mecca of golf in america at least and uh it's it's just got a special feel to it like you can't help but feel Get the you can't help but be all up in your feels when you're at uh, the Masters, and you're gonna really see performance psychology um, under a microscope because you're gonna see players who are prepared for that moment mentally and handle it, and you're gonna see players who are not and they won't handle it. I mean, it is a pressure test of pressure tests um, in a sport with a really small margin for error, which is which is pretty cool. Yeah. And then I would like to go to the Kentucky Derby at some point. Um, I would like just to see the performance. You know, the, I'm sure there's some level that I don't quite understand yet of mental fortitude and mental and mindset training between a jockey and a horse or the horse itself that I would just love to observe and understand better. And then two, I hear it's just a great party. Yeah. No, and yeah, this is a really good answer. I like parties. Der- so. Derby's, Derby's a really good answer. You know what we should do? Future podcast warning. Hashtag future podcast warning. We should get one of my absolute best friends, Dr. Josh Plotnick, to come on a podcast. He's got a PhD in animal behavior and psychology, and we should talk Derby. Yeah. Let's talk Derby. And I also – so for the people who are listening, Josh Plotnick is also one of, if not the world's foremost experts on uh, elephant behavioral psychology yep in fact if i recall correctly he became somewhat famous if not very famous in the behavioral psychology world because he discovered that elephants have self-referential understanding which means they can recognize themselves particularly in a mirror um and i would i mean i will full-on nerd out if we can get josh yeah i mean i mean he was i think in grad school when he did that he was the lead grad student on the study at the bronx zoo that recognized that elephants could recognize themselves in the mirror and i mean listen all i can say is my boy's wicked smart like wicked smart boy's wicked smart uh so i will i will be called i will track him down sometimes he's in thailand in the jungle with elephants and sometimes he's at hunter college where he teaches but um yeah no that would be awesome i will uh I'll so what future people should know is we are making a full-on transition to animal psychology yeah. in the near future. That would be cool. That would be fun. All right. So we'll do that at some point when we can get his uh, schedule to work out with ours. So yeah. also, Raymond, I would I have another another topic for maybe future podcasts. Um, as we've talked about, Raymond works with a lot of PGA uh, golfers. And um, if you are a golfer and you're out there and you're looking for Raymond, by the way, 
hashtag shameless plug. A lot of hashtags mm. on this podcast. Yeah. Uh, um, yeah. But find Raymond. He's your guy. And um, you can hit him on the Twitter machine at RFP Sport. And good way to track him down. But so, Raymond, this would be a great question if you just start polling a lot of the golfers that you talk to. Mecca of golf, St. Andrews versus Augusta. Got to pick mm. one. Got to pick one. What, what, what do you think they're going with? I think most of them are going to go with Augusta. And wow. I think, yeah, I think they're going to be a couple of it. Yeah, America. Well, for, certainly for the American players, but I think the Masters has a certain prestige to it that yeah. um, all golfers can identify with. I think there will be some that would say St. Andrews, yeah. uh, particularly probably your European players. Okay. Um, but if you asked every golfer in the world, what major would you win if you could only win one, my guess is that the vast majority would pick the Masters. So I agree with you, but slight, make sure you ask the question. It's not about the tournament. It's not like the, yeah. you know, the, the British Opens at, at St. Andrews and the, and the Masters, you can win one. It's You could just play one golf course, nobody mm-hmm. watching, where are you going? That's yeah. That's the framework. That's right. the framework. Yeah. My guess is that most will still pick the Masters, but I'll find out. Find I'll out. Ask. Do your job. I'll find out. Yeah. For the okay. podcast. For the podcast. For our six. For all our six. For, yes. For us okay. and, and our mothers who are listening. <laughs> okay. Uh, we've got a couple other fun questions here. And then we've got a actually I, what I think is a really insightful question. All right. So we're um, running up against it. Let's go one fun one. Okay. Let's go one insightful one. And then we'll wrap it up. We'll get some of these next time so that the two listeners yeah. that we do have don't, don't get mad at sure. us for going too long. Okay, so this is from Terry. Terry asks, um, what are you reading and watching right now? So I think Terry's referring to either what books or what programming uh, you and I might be watching right now. Bobby, what are you reading and what are you what are you uh, entertaining yourself and or educating yourself with? Yeah, so I have a total cop-out answer, but I have a partially good one. So, so as we've talked about on this podcast, so I have two children. One is almost three. One is about five months. By the way, shout out to baby Bobby who slept through the night the last two nights. I mean, oh man, right? I don't think podcasts will be a thing when he's old enough to listen to them. But like, just in case he is, good job, baby Bobby. Keep it up. <laughs> um, way, to, way to sleep, bro. Way to sleep, dude. Uh, so, but between like work and kids and all that, like I really don't have a lot of time these days to watch stuff or read stuff as much as I wish I did. And when I do have a little bit of time, I'm generally watching sports so I can be up on what's going on in the world of sport, um, whether that's sporting events or documentaries like 30 for 30s. But to answer the question, what am I reading most uh, right now? So Ferdinand the Bull, children's book, really try mm-hmm. to pull that one out a lot. Great message. Big fan of it. Um, there's the I Love You book, which which is another children's book. Big fan. Um, in the realm of improving myself, I have two answers. One is, and this is again, future podcast warning, hashtag, man, hashtags are piling up. Um, yeah. The Bullseye Mind, I'm dusting off, written by uh, <laughs> the great Dr. Raymond Pryor, because it's an awesome. It had book. a lot of dust. Uh, had it, a lot of dust. It, is an, uh, it really is an awesome read. You wrote a while ago, um, and I'm really proud of you. I'm really proud of the book. Uh, people should read it. It's, it, you know, Raymond did a lot of his early work, you know, in grad school specifically um, with uh, the West Virginia rifle team is kind of how you got your, your start with, uh, I would say at least elite athletes. Um, so your first book was, was focusing on sports shooting. Um, but whether you're in shooting or not, it's an outstanding read. One of the things we should do in a podcast soon, uh, which is the reason I dusted it off, <clears throat> not literally, but I just, you know, it's a metaphor, Raymond, don't take it personally. Um, is I, I think we should, you know, I should interview you about it. Let's talk about the book a little bit. People should buy it. People should read it because whether you're in sports shooting or golf or just trying to be your best self, it's, it's, a, it's a good read. Um, there's a particularly good page right in the beginning, I noticed. 
<clears throat> the one with your name on it. Loved it. Loved it. Could have yeah. print could have been bigger. Otherwise, no comments really. Uh, sure. So no. So I'm, I'm going to uh, refresh myself on that book and come with some questions in a, in a podcast we're going to do soon. Just ask you things like, uh, you know, where did the story come from? What are your favorite sections? That those kind kinds of questions. Um, mm-hmm. So I'm going to give that a reread so we can do that soon. And then we're getting ready to go on a little trip uh, as a family. So. I got asked this question the day, Raymond, I gave a, I gave a workshop and somebody asked me what's like a good book to read to get introduced to mindset training. And I realized my answer was one I hadn't read since we were in grad school, which was Bob Rotella's How Champions Think. Mm. Uh, so I literally dusted that one off uh, and put it in my bag yesterday. So I'm going to get that one, uh, get that one, hopefully reread in the next couple of weeks and uh, see what I remember. So you, what do you watch? What do you read? Tell us. Okay, um, I am currently reading a textbook called Motivational Interviewing, boning up on my question asking skills. For those who are curious, Motivational Interviewing is a communication style that assumes that people have everything they need to make the changes in their life that they want to, provided as a helper. And by helper, I mean you could be a coach, a parent, a consultant, uh, a leader in any way that you can essentially ask them the type of questions where they convince themselves to do it. I mean, research is pretty clear. People don't really make a lot of changes when other people are trying to convince them to do so. Uh, the authors are William Miller and Stephen Rolnick, who are kind of the founding fathers of uh, motivational interviewing. And it's uh, it's a thick read by research-wise, but it's uh, very insightful. So that's where I am. And uh, lately I've been watching Our Planet, which is a nature documentary um, narrated by the David Attenborough, uh, and it's on Netflix, which is delightful. Mm. Favorite children's book, Raymond? Go. Favorite children's book? Great question. Um, oof, you'll have to give me a second to think about that. Okay. Let me let me let that marinate for a second. Right. It's been a while since I've read a children's book. Okay. Well, Uncle but Raymond I'll, I'll needs to visit. That's, that's what we just Yeah, heard. Uncle okay. Raymond needs to catch up on some <laughs> yeah. stuff. So. Okay. Um, all right. You said you had one other question. We'll wrap it up. Yeah. On so that. we've got one more question that we'll, we'll spend a couple minutes on here before we wrap up. So this is from Carly. Carly's a graduate student in sports psychology. And I know she's a graduate student in sports psychology because her single question came in the form of a very, very long paragraph. Of Good for you, Carly. So I'm going to summarize it. Yeah. So Carly's, um, she, before she asked her question, kind of uh, referenced the evolution of sport in a couple of different areas. So Mm -hmm. for example, Bobby, when you and I were in high school and college, the warm up for a soccer game looked very different than it does now. Mm -hmm. It involved a lot of standing around and static stretching. Yeah. Right over left, touch your toes. Left over right. Right over left, touch your toes. Or Yes. And, and then and then and then sprint yeah. immediately Stupid. Um, and what we're understanding is that is actually very bad for you dumb and so she's talking about like kind of the evolution of a variety of different areas related to performance including uh, sports psychology and she wants to know um, what are the trends in sports psychology like in other areas of sport that you see sports psychology moving to that we're understanding better and are probably more beneficial for people than previous topics that you know we understand understood very well then but maybe didn't under, understand it as well as we thought we did or how predictive it was so essentially like what are the trends that things are going to that are going to be better for athletes or more effective for for basically building mindsets so wow. um 
Yeah, Carly. go there. Carly. Listen, yeah, if, you're in Carly's, if you're in Carly's class, sit next to her and yeah. maybe look over her shoulder. No, I'm just no, I was going to say. <laughs> wow. Okay. That's a fascinating question. Um, trends in sports psychology. Well, I, I'm not sure I'm going to answer this specifically the way she wants, but I, I, one of the things, Raymond, that comes to my mind immediately is trends in sport and its impact on sports psychology is mm-hmm. sport in general has trended to analytics so heavily, right? Um, you, you watch a baseball game, watch the shift, you know, like where are people mm-hmm. most likely to hit the ball and analytics are helping people perform better uh, in, in a lot of different ways. And, and I have found that a lot of coaches and athletes are asking us, be it sports psychology professionals, performance consultants, mindset trainers, you know, pick your terminology for analytics, right? Uh, help me measure my, my mindset, help me measure my results, my growth, grade my mindset. And mm-hmm. I, I, I say that as a, I don't know. I, the reason I said, I don't know I'm answering that perfectly is I don't know that that's a trend in sports psychology yet. Cause I don't think we've answered it. I don't think it's, it's apples to apples when you're talking about things like where someone's going to hit the ball in baseball or how we measure str- physical strength to how we measure mindset. Mm-hmm. I think we're searching for the answer. I think we're, we're trying to leverage technology and, and, and different score. I mean, there's psychological profiles out there, but I think that's very different to me at least. Um, so I, I think the, the sporting world is asking us for that. I don't think we've nailed the answer yet. I think a lot of us are working on different ways to help people feel like they have some analytics around it. But if we're being authentic, you know, has the field figured out how to grade mindset or mental toughness? I don't think we have yet. Uh, but it's definitely a trend because I get asked for it constantly from parents, athletes, and coaches. So I, I'd imagine you are seeing the same thing, right? Yeah. So I'll just start uh, my response here with a story. So our good friend, Jesse Michelle, Jesse is the um, director of mental training for the Houston Astros. And after his first year with the team, he had a really successful year um, and he did a bunch of surveys with the players and, and kind of recapped uh, the work that he had been doing with their teams and, and had to present it to the front office of, of the Astros. And the, he got a lot of great feedback and a lot of really important information from players. And the front office's question was, where does this fit in our regression analysis? Mm-hmm. Meaning, how, how do we take this information and put it into an equation that tells us how likely a player is to be successful? And Jesse's response was, uh, an honest, I don't know. Like, because it's very difficult to measure with a single metric how mentally strong is somebody. Because it can vary so quickly. There are so many variables involved. And just because somebody is mentally tough doesn't mean that they're executing very well or as well as they can. And just because somebody's not mentally tough doesn't mean they aren't. Like, it's a really difficult thing to predict. Um, But I'll tell you what, if anyone out there listening figures out how you can accurately quantify somebody's mindset strength tell us first tell us first yep. let's do it together and then don't and don't tell anyone else yep. give me the three of us well and we will all get very rich and be able to help a heck of a lot of people yeah and raymond you know what in that order by the way yeah <laughs> but you know what raymond to make that answer kind of uh maybe a little more serious but to carly's question i mean you're if you, if you are a grad student if you're correct about that raymond that's the kind mm-hmm. of thing if i was in grad school now and I wasn't you know, running a business and stuff like that's what I'd, I'd be focusing on something like that. Like, how can I come up with a way to, to quantify it? Because that would be yeah. pushing the market forward, which I think is what the younger, I mean, everybody should be wanting to do that. But but that's right. that would be valuable insight to a grad student. 
Yeah, and we do have a variety of measures that are that isolate certain variables that are highly predictive. Mm-hmm. You know, for example, Angela Duckworth out of UPenn has a what she calls the grit scale, which uh, predicts somebody's level of grit and is very predictive of of whether people make it through difficult challenges, like specifically the training that goes into the military and so on and so forth. Mm-hmm. But as she would say, it's it's not a perfect measure and it's it's predictive to a large degree, but there are many things that make it difficult to measure. For example, one of them being um, frame of reference bias, which is uh, like if you're assessing something like somebody's grit, what I think is gritty growing up in a certain area might be very gritty, but what somebody else thinks is gritty growing up in an even grittier place but they don't think that's very gritty, even though they are grittier than I am, makes it really difficult because they might report that they're not very gritty, even though they are, right? So your understanding of what grit is before you get assessed for grit makes a massive difference in uh, in how predictive that might be. And so ultimately, her research has shed a lot of light on how we can identify people who are more likely to get through difficult environments, but it's not a perfect measure by any means. Yeah. Uh, hashtag gritty, by the way. Um, <clears throat> but listen, so anyway, I, I, I don't think there's anything, as I said before, apples to apples on like baseball analytics on, you know, how they designate the shift, their defensive shift, or, you know, there's plenty of equivalent answers. I think there is apples to apples in all the different sports. I don't think we've mm-hmm. got that yet, which is, I think the point no. you're making. So, Anyway, that'll be my answer. So, Raymond, why don't you see some trends, maybe not so much in the marketplace, but more in specific mindset consulting, if you don't mind, performance consulting. Yeah, and then I'll be home. quick as we're yeah, I'll, I'll I'll wrap this up pretty quick here. Um, you know, Carly, just you for any listeners, you've heard me use the phrase "coupling of self and craft" uh, in this podcast, which is essentially I've linked my emotional state and my state of well being to the results of my performance. Um, I think that trend of decoupling self and craft is growing and it's going to be really beneficial for people where you're basically going to be decreasing perceived threats of negative performance because it's not going to be a threat to who you are and your value as a person. And we're starting to see that trend. I think uh, LeBron James and a couple of different athletes are kind of heading up this project. Uh, if you Google more than an athlete, they're kind of touching on that. And I think that many athletes based on their current experiences and past experiences and, and people in a variety of different realms, particularly acting and uh, music, are starting to understand that this idea that I'm supposed to determine my value as a person or how good I'm supposed to feel about myself based on my performance is a fundamentally broken concept and a broken model. And I think that's starting to change. Uh, it's going to be slow because it's a really difficult change to make in a lot of different ways. Um, But I can't tell you how many athletes I've worked with or how many I see where that is the barrier to them performing better and enjoying what they do more. And I think that paradigm is starting to shift. And I think that's going to be a really good thing. And we're going to start to see some more research on that. I think we're also starting to see a lot more anecdotal evidence and athletes sharing what that experience is like, which is going to normalize it a little bit more. And uh, I think that's going to be a really powerful trend in the next 10, 15 years. Yeah. Awesome. And so having, yeah. So having said that, Oh, by the way, I remembered my favorite children's book, which is trending. It's called where my hat is at. Um, and it's by a fellow named Homestar runner, which is one of my favorite internet cartoons. Uh, just a tremendous story about overcoming adversity. Okay. I'm not familiar yeah. with that one, which is rare at this juncture in my life. So 
Yeah, it's a it's a it's a diamond in the rough. You really gotta yeah, yeah move through that's some a stuff, so. reference while we're on it. All okay, right. listen everybody. Yeah, thanks for checking up. us out. Um, <clears throat> so I uh, hope we had some entertaining stuff today, some current events, mindset, perspectives, some some listener questions. Thank you for those. Keep those coming. Um, and uh, as we've teed up in, in a podcast soon, we'll talk about Raymond's book, uh, Bullside Mind. Go check that out. And um, if you want to tweet the show, you could do so at TalkOutLoudBR. If you want to find Raymond, you could do so at RFP Sport. Uh, you can always find me on my website at bobbydoogie.com. And uh, thanks, uh, thanks for listening. We promise to do better next time.